Asia Tech Podcast. Voice of the Asian Tech Ecosystem. We are live in the Asia Tech Podcast studio. Graham Brown and Clement Chang. Clement, welcome. Thanks for having me here, Graham. It's great to have you here. I'm really excited by this because I got excited when I found out you were coming and I read your uh, bio. I thought, this man's a bit of a maverick. We've got to have him on the show. You're Singaporean, born yes. and bred? Born and raised here in Singapore. Yeah. And you've got to, I mean, we're going to talk about spiking. We're going to talk about the financial services sector and how, I don't know if I can use that word, you are disrupting it and you're doing something a bit different. Um, your background as well, financial services. And also the fact that you've been an entrepreneur for how many years now? You tw- 2001 was your first business out of national service. Yes. 17 uh, years. After national service, went to the university. And yeah. once I finished my bachelor degree, I went on to do my MBA. Right. And the MBA course specializes in entrepreneurship. Right. Okay. We have to come up with a business plan. And I launched my first business based out of the MBA business plan. Straight away. <laughs> yeah, straight away. That was in year the year 2000. business plan that you wrote on the MBA, MBA course. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So the first business being the one written here, is that your telecoms business? Yes, that was in uh, 2000 when te- telecom markets was uh, open up. Yeah. Uh, traditionally, it was a monopoly dominated by Singtel. And when they opened up the market, two other players came on board. We have a startup at M1. Mm-hmm. I decided to knock on the doors of a startup and say, hey, you know, I'm going to help you swing customers from Singtel to join you at Starhub. Right. How does that sound? And that year, they appointed about 30 of us channel partners, they call us. Mm. And within one year, we helped them to acquire or swing 5,000 customers from Singtel over to Starhub. Wow, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we kind of uh, shocked the market. Um, yeah, so you're hustling. Yeah, we are hustling and we got very big customers, including the likes of Rolls-Royce, and it was pretty lucrative, you know. Uh, mm. Every time you pick up a phone and make an international call, we get a cut of of the phone bill. Yeah. So uh, great time. Uh, after one year, we were awarded a top partner, generated the highest revenue. They gave us all the bells and whistles. And six months after that, they decided to fire us. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to entrepreneurship. <laughs> there you go. The hustle is real. The struggle is real. But, you know, here's the thing. I mean, we're going to talk a bit about your, your journey. And you, you've been involved in some, you know, amazing adventures along the way. And I, I think, you know, to share those with the listeners and the viewers would be great. Because it's all kind of what's made you who you are now. And all the way up to spiking now. I mean, you are, let, let's sort of put this into context. You were featured as one of the hottest 20 startups in Singapore. Yes. It by Singapore Business Review, right? So, you know, you've had a whole bunch of accolades along the way. You've won many awards, like you were saying, for example, with your first business. And um, yet, on top of that, I, mean, I know you did the MBA. I'm just trying to sort of look through you... Have you ever been employed by somewhere else, or have you always been an entrepreneur yourself? I I think I um, been employed on a very short sting, and I didn't enjoy that process. <laughs> <laughs> How short was it? <laughs> that process of uh, working for someone because I'm always working harder than the boss. 
I arrive wow. at the office earlier than the boss. I go home later than the boss, and I realize why don't I become my own boss? Yeah, you're making <laughs> the boss rich, right? <laughs> yeah. So, do you, I'm always curious about this question, Clement. Is that at what point did you think you were an entrepreneur? Was it something that you knew when you were younger, or was it something that came later in life? Was there a point where you know when you were a kid you were doing sort of hustling type things? Or was it something that you know when you went did the MBA? You thought actually this might be a career path for me. I think for me is、uh, defined by passion. Anything I really focus and apply my mind on, I go all out. Yeah, that means I give up hundred percent of、uh, everything I have. So, for example, when I was going through、uh, primary schooling and all the way to secondary school, I was very focused on. Doing well in sports,、mm. and guess what? My my favorite sport and、uh, is actually table tennis. Table tennis. <laughs> oh, we got a table downstairs. We have to play. A tall guy playing table tennis, and、yeah. I became very good in it、uh, because I applied my mind. Yeah. And likewise, when I was in junior college,、uh, I fell in love with flying aeroplanes. I joined the youth flying club. I applied my mind, and I got a private pilot's license. At what age?、Uh, that was at age of eighteen years old. Wow. Well. Most of my peers, they were just studying away. They、right. were more focused on the on the on the school. And you were flying. Yeah, and I, I was、that? just having my best time of my life, flying up in the air. What were you flying?、Uh, Piper Warrior. That's the model of the plane,、uh, single engine, and under the instruction of the of the instructors at Singapore Flying Club, you、yeah. flying club.、Uh, I went through for my first solo flight. And thereafter, attained the PPL license. That year,、yeah. six of us attained the PPL license. Yeah. Did you have to be like really focused and determined to do that? Because you mentioned your friends, especially at a younger age, you're quite sensitive to what they say. You want to fit in. We all do, right? You don't want to be outside the gang, the group, right? And they were they were studying, and you were off flying. Did you have to at any point sort of say or say to yourself like, actually, this is more important than what my friends think? I think I've always been an outlier. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, here we go. This is what I want to hear. So tell us about that.、Uh, I feel very comfortable myself、uh, pursuing my own passion.、Yeah. So the keyword is actually passion. So actually, because of my passion in sports, I kind of、uh, did very badly、uh, during secondary school days. Really? But you were smart in primary. Uh, that's the thing. When you are too passionate, you just focus on、uh. one single effort. So、yeah. my my focus back then was on sports. So came to secondary three and secondary four. I decided to wake up and say, okay, time for me to focus on studies, and applied my mind and I did very well. I was ranked at the bottom of the school, but by the time I finished my O levels examination, I got a gold medal from the school for academic excellence. Wow! So I think it's a big turnaround. And again, the keyword is being very passionate, applying your mind. On a single endeavor and getting、mm. the best results you can. Yeah. So when you went into the world of work, how did that work out for you? Because I'm sure up to that point you were trained. We all are trained that we're going to go and have a career.、Mm. You know, you're going to become a manager, then a senior manager, and a vice president, senior、mm. vice president. Or did you know at that point that I'm going to start my own thing? I always know that I was going to start my own thing when I was going through university.、Um, for me, I went through the engineering course. Yeah. So there's like a six months period we have to go through、uh, attachment, industrial attachment. 
that's the word they call they call it like a it's not like an internship but it's kind of back then uh, pretty similar yeah. you are attached to a company you report to bosses and you do yeah, exactly what they say uh, i did very well i yeah. did everything that boss wanted and beyond so i think i kind of uh, been a very good subordinate uh, I think that's the starting point of becoming a boss yourself. <laughs> yeah. You're able to follow instructions as well as give instructions. Yeah, yeah. importantly. Because there's always going to be a boss of a boss, right? Yeah, give instructions. The, the whole chain of commands, there's always someone yeah. up there. But how did you know then that you were going to do your own thing? Uh, that kind of uh, sparkled when I was in the fourth year in my university. Yeah, I started to think about career options, right? So I was uh, trained as a civil engineer. Hmm. Most of my peers were pursuing the engineering path, but for me, I start looking the business out there. And one of the thing, first thing I fell in love with, is actually stocks. Right. I look at stocks of public listed companies. I say, wow, these are great brands, and I want to know their stories of how they started off as a startup and eventually grew to become a public company. Hmm. And that's where I first dive into stock investing. Right. That really. Uh, you know, pull off everything within me to become an entrepreneur. I, I think I, I love the idea of starting a company from nothing mm. and putting your best ideas and creativity to build something out of nothing and then getting a whole bunch of customers who fell in love with your product and you go out there and make a name for the product and create some form of disruption in yeah. the industry that you're in. Yeah, That was the starting point because of the stock market. Yeah. Well, <laughs> where are the parallels between that and flying? I'm curious because are there parallels that, you know, I'm something you were really passionate about and something you excelled in and then you apply it to the stock market? They seem to be worlds apart. But I'm, I'm sure if you looked at it quite hard, there's some similarities there. Actually, many similarities because, first of all, to be a very good entrepreneur, you're on your own. You must be very disciplined. Yeah. Likewise, for the pilot training, you've got to be extremely disciplined. And until today, I can still recite the whole process of landing a plane. Landing a plane is much more difficult than taking off a plane. Right. So I can we'll, I, I can still recall right now, uh, you know, final final touchdown, we will go flaps down 10 degrees, instrument check, and then uh, windsock check, and finally we do, do the landing procedures. So we just recite, recite the whole process and building up a very disciplined mind. Yeah. So I think I get a lot out of uh, the pilot training. I really love that whole process and how we bridge that gap over across to entrepreneurship. Again, when you're an entrepreneur, you have to be extremely disciplined, be very good in what you do and know much more than the others and just press on. In fact, I was not destined to pass the pilot training. I press on because someone else believed in me and yeah. that, that was my primary instructor. Right. So likewise, when you do business, someone else will believe in you and that someone else is what's going to press you on and persevere yeah. throughout the journey. How important that is. Yes. We'll come back to that theme as well as when we talk about spiking and sort of learning from the best as yes. well. I think it's a key theme. Before we do it, just aside, my son's 12 years old and he's now become obsessed about aeroplanes. <laughs> so he's watching this. <laughs> Shout out to, and uh, this Sunday... He, he took an entrance exam. He passed his entrance exam. And I said, look, if you pass this, I'll take you to the flight simulator that's down in, where is it? Down in the flyer somewhere, isn't it? Yes. You know, he's so, so he found out about that. He's going to go and fly a 737-800 around Hong Kong airport. So he's just like so stoked at the moment. 
I'm just wondering if that's the beginning of a flying career. So I'm always thinking about, you know, how can you actually have a career out of flying apart from being a pilot? You know, but what we're talking about here, the things you learn, he may know, not go and become a pilot. He may not work in aerospace. But those lessons that you learn in flying and that sort of discipline, how important that is it's to entrepreneurship. Super important. So take, for example, your son right now, 12 years old. I fell in love with flying at the age of about 14 years old. Right. And I start reading up everything I can find out about you flying club. And you have to apply for five different tests, psychomotor tests, psychological tests, different tests. And before finally they enroll you into the school, you flying club mm. school. So this whole process is actually cultivating knowledge, being very inquisitive, mm. finding out more than the rest so that you can go around telling stories. And I bet your son is telling you stories about different plane models. Oh God, it and, doesn't uh, stop in the middle of dinner. Different yeah. tech specs. Yeah. And Boeing's 50 years old apparently, I just learned that yesterday. So yes, and, and he's knowing much more than you do yeah, because absolutely. he's putting his, applying his mind in that area and that's discipline, that's being very inquisitive. He wants to know much more than the rest so that he can tell a great story to the friends yeah. around him. Yeah. That's a great start. Excellent. Love it. Positivity. <laughs> yeah. There you go. And I've got Youth Flying Club noted down here as well. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk about spiking because, I mean, th this is really about knowledge as well and passion for knowledge and learning from the best. Tell us a little bit about what spiking is and maybe we, we can just get the uh, the camera on you. Let's have a quick look at your T-shirt. Let's get that out there. Um, there you go. Just a bit <laughs> behind your mic, but I don't know if you can see it from on your logo there you have hidden in the font you have a bull and a bear tell us a little bit about that first for those that may be familiar with stocks they know where you're going with that yes um when i first started trading in stocks uh basically the whole idea is you apply different form of analysis hmm. and you come to a point at the end of the day despite your best analysis you still have to overcome two giants in your life and that's what i call fear and greed and that's basically your psychological barrier. Mm. And it's because of fear and greed that killed most of the traders in the market. Yeah. So I want to present this idea of overcoming your psychological barrier by having hidden messages found within our logo itself. Right. That's the reason why you see uh, bull and bear hidden mm. within the spiking brand. Yeah. And this is the key. If you ha can have the best strategy out there, best methodology, if you can't overcome your own fear and greed, you still get slaughtered in the market. Yeah. So how do you define a process whereby you can overcome your own psychological fear and greed and thereby fulfilling the true realization of your strategy? Mm. This is what spiking is all about. So I've been investing for over 15 years already. Uh, back in the days, I first want to learn everything about Warren Buffett. Yeah. Unfortunately, he doesn't publish any books no. other than his uh, letters to his shareholders. Yeah, his prospectus. And, yeah. But he has a great teacher. His name is called Benjamin Graham. Yeah. It's same like your name. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The intelligent investor, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. And it's a tough read. Most people started off reading that book and mm. I applied three years of my life trying to find everything about fundamental analysis. You are looking at over 300 different kinds of price ratio, mm. P ratio, debt equity ratio, price book ratios, and so on. After three years of my life doing that, I say, oh my God, this is really tough, man. And I move on to technical analysis. Now, yeah, te technical yeah. analysis is basically Japanese candlestick charts. Right, all the chartist stuff. Double yeah. head, double bottom, head and shoulder, oh red line, blue line, doji, and so on. Yeah. And after some time, I realized, oh my God, 
I'm not exactly built innately as a technician. I don't enjoy looking at numbers. I don't enjoy looking at charts. Mm. Because what your disposition is going to determine what you do best. I'm more in favor of understanding what the boss is thinking about the business. Mm. But this is a tough part. In the stock market, you just can't chop off the, the head of a CEO and say, hey, this is what you're thinking about. So the only telltale sign or clue left for us is to track where he puts his money. Right. And this is really beautiful stuff. And I first started tracking to insider trading. I was using pen and paper, writing down trades because back then the technology is just not advanced enough. And finally, in recent years with the pickup of uh, cloud hosting and more powerful machines available, made available to us, we took about 20 months to build and design the first MVP, right. minimum viable product. And we finally released in the market in 2016. And guess what? Uh, it went viral. <laughs> People love our app. They are able to see exactly what the bosses of public companies are buying per share price on which date, and we give them real-time notification. Yeah. So exactly you can mirror what exactly they are doing. And this is the best and the fastest and the most efficient method to learn from professional traders out there in the market today. Right. Okay, so let's unpack that a little bit so I understand <laughs> it. I'm not, I'm not a professional trader, but so you're saying you are making it available, the, the information about publicly traded companies, who's buying and selling, Yes. the bosses, the directors of the company as well. So rather than, for example, like professional traders, like, for example, the Buffets and the ICANs yeah. and all these kind of people, instead of their trading strategies, you're talking about the PLCs, the publicly limited companies, and what they're buying and selling. Is that right? Or well, understand? Oh, much more than that. You gave out a few good names. Warren Buffett, Carl Icahn, Bill Ackman, yeah. Ray Dalios, George Soros. We track every single one of them. Right. Meaning to say, if Warren, went, Warren Buffett went into the market to buy the shares of Apple, and back then he bought per share price $95. Yeah. All right? Here's the thing, Graham. Think about it in three steps. For Warren Buffett to put his money to buy Apple shares at $95 per share, it means that he has completely exhausted all his resources to complete what we call a due diligence process right? before taking the plunge into the stock. Yeah. Step one. Now today, step two, Graham, you know that Buffett paid for $95 per share. What if the price drops below $95? And you went in to buy at $94. Effectively, what you have done, Graham, is you have bought at a discounted price against Buffett. Yeah. And And there you go. He's done his diligence. That is the extreme form of what I call value investing. Yeah, right. Because you're riding on the due diligence of Warren Buffett. Right. So let me understand is that when Warren Buffett or ICANN or Soros make an investment decision, their due diligence process is extensive they have teams of people working for how how do they do how do they make those decisions compared to like the average investor oh it's huge man take for example Carl Icahn he has one department of lawyers Mm. looking through every single line or clause released by the public company he has another department of accountants doing all the analysis (laughs) then you have another department of analysts who's trying to forecast the price then you have another department using robots trying to predict the price he has all these resources at his disposal compared yeah. to the average man out here. Right. That is a huge difference. That's the reason why 
for the average man, without these resources, you can't compete. Right. But today, spiking gives you this opportunity. You just compete based on price of what he, what those guys have paid for. Yeah. You're standing on the shoulders of giants, right? Exactly. <laughs> so you're doing. Okay, so I got it. All right. So I'm just going to flip on the other side and be adversarial here. So if you're buying what Buffett would buy or ICANN or Soros, surely whenever they make a move into a stock, there's going to be a spike. People are going to follow naturally. You know, if, they, if Buffett buys Apple or Buffett buys Goldman Sachs, everybody else is going to follow. So there's already a premium. It's priced in. So it's, how do you then go into the market and actually get it at a discount? Well, you know, he bought at 95. By the time you find out, it's already at 110. You know, it's already priced up. That's a very good question, Graham. And I want to share with you this mystical thing about the stock market. Same information, different interpretation. So even though everybody knows that Buffett bought into Apple stocks, yeah. not everyone is going to buy into Apple stocks. There's always two sides of the camp. That's the first point. Second point, true enough, when he announces that he bought at 95 per share, price will shoot up. Mm. But for a limited time, because maybe it could be one month later, Apple announced a poor earnings, stock price dropped to $90. But when it's below Buffett's price, everyone started right. kicking their fear, oh, it could go below 80, it could go below 70, all kinds of uh, devil advocates play in their mind. And end up, they don't take any action. Right. So same information, different interpretation. Got it. So <laughs> let's take the, the, the fear and the greed out of it. Basically, what you have is you have some markers at which these experts have these armies of researchers and analysts and lawyers going through the prospectuses, going through all the earnings. Yes. And they're then saying, we think that this stock is worth this much or we think it's it's a bargain at this much, they've gone in at that amount and you've kept a track of that and you're then making that available. So when you know the markets fluctuate, take that out of the equation, yes. you still have this remaining. You, know, you still have this fact that, well, Buffett did all the research and he still thinks 95 is a good entry point. You got it, Graham. There you go. So tell me, how does it work? So how, how does the actual product itself work? You started with an MVP in 2016. Yeah, we launched a product in 2016. Before that, we took about 20 months to build the first MVP. 20 months? 20 months. And how did you fund that? Uh, it's self-funded and I have a team of four of us working on it. Yeah. Every day, do nothing, just think about ideas, how to build a product, operationalize it, execute it and test it. Right. 20 months self 20 months of doing that, yes. Yeah. You must have had a lot of confidence and belief. Self-belief. Oh, yes. I think we, we give the team really a lot of freedom. Yeah. Let's go and imagine what you can do with the product, put in all your best resources. Yeah. Who, yeah. The four... Were there four people, you say, at the founding team? Yes. You, yourself and three co-founders or, you know, were these people uh, that you... There's two co-founders and two co two other colleagues. Right, yeah. right. So how is that when you, you self-funded the first 20 months and, you know, it must have been tough because, you know, 20 months before you get a product out to the market, you know, like any journey as an entrepreneur, and myself included, there's always doubts, there's always dark yeah. moments, it's up and it's down. Yeah. And then you get your product out to market and you say you're giving them freedom. Yeah. You know, how, how did you know that this was the right thing to do? How did you stay focused? How did you stay confident that this was going to work? Actually, it was a perfect time for the team because during that 20 months, I was hibernating in my cave. 
Right. I was doing my PhD research. Ah. <laughs> Actually, with me not interfering with the team, I think they did better. <laughs> right. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Because otherwise, if you were sort of hawking the team. Yeah. Yeah. So I think a- they have a lot of freedom. Uh, I was writing my thesis back then, yeah. 2015, 2016. Uh, two, sorry, 2014 and 15. I was writing my thesis. Right. And then 2016, we roll out the product. Right. Yeah. So in a way, when you your earliest sort of engagement with the product, you were an investor in the sense that you invested, you let them get on with it. Yes. And you didn't sort of hawk them on a daily basis. You were you had other stuff to do. You had your thesis. Yeah. We have a key objective. I just put out a simple question to the team. Uh, yeah. Help me find out what the big boys are doing. That's it. Yeah. Go out there, find every piece of information that you can grab hold of. Yeah. yeah. It, why isn't that... Already, I mean, why isn't there a solution already like that out there? That's the same question I've been asking the stock exchanges. I've been asking the brokerage houses. When we released the product, everyone was shocked. Yeah. Can you imagine we released on 1st April 2016 on a Friday? Yeah. The following Monday, the stock exchange sent two guys to, to have a breakfast with me. <laughs> I said, Clement... You just built a product that we've been thinking about all these years, but we didn't do it. But finally, you did it. Congratulations. Yeah. Can you imagine that? <laughs> why, why were you able to do that in these two guys? Well, not these two guys, but why didn't those guys come up with that idea? What do you think What was it that enabled you to do that? I think because we are very passionate and we are very niche about it. Yeah. We really go vertical, deep down, straight down, instead of going broad, broad on the breath. Yeah. We go in depth. Mm. So when we go in, that means we become a specialist today of insider trading. Yeah, Everything about insider, we want to know. Mm. So we became very good in it. I think that really sets us apart. And of course, the whole business model and the vision surrounding the product is really, really important. Mm. Today, if you go to the spiking app, you get to see three categories of investors. We call them the big boys. First one, billionaire. Second one, millionaire. Third one, blue whales. Mm. And our definition of a billionaire is a bit different from the market definition. Our billionaire is someone who put a billion dollars into the stock market. Yeah. We don't care how many buildings or cash in bank he has. Just pure investment right. in the stock market. He was able to write a check for a billion dollars. Yes, and, and right. that is very precise. Yeah, yeah. And for a blue will, someone who has invested less than a million dollars, it's okay. But this guy has influence over the business direction in the future. Hmm. He could be a chief financial officer. He could be the chief legal officer. And they know everything about the business intimately compared to the normal right. guys out there. Yeah. That's why it's important to track every one of them. Right. Isn't that information publicly available anyway? I mean, it has to be if somebody's trading a stock, especially their own stock, which is not... I mean, I know you say insider trading. There is also another form of insider trading, which is illegal, right? Yes. But what you're talking about is when people buy and sell their own stocks, yeah. not on some privy information, but yes. they have to declare it, don't they, as a yes. director or a CEO. They have to declare that, and that's made public. Yes. It's out there anyway, isn't it? But effectively, what you're doing is you're just kind of matching that to what's important because there's a lot of noise, right? It's tremendous amount, huge tremendous amount of data. So typically, you can see it in stock filings. But just for a single trade made by a sophisticated investor, the filing yeah. is about 11 pages. Right. Humanly, it's not possible to go through. And each day, there are thousands of transactions, thousands of filings. How do you go through all that kind of stuff? So we use technology to solve this problem. We apply technology to weave out what is important and relevant to the retail investor. And we put on a layer of artificial intelligence. Mm. Every day, there are thousands of transactions. Which one should you look at? 
AI solves this problem. Yeah. yeah. It's just pattern matching, isn't it? Yes. Okay. Retail investors, they're your target market, not institutional. So th this is, in theory, available to somebody like myself who may have some cash and I want to invest. Is that who you're targeting or you're targeting people who are the professional investors? Actually, our market audience is pretty wide. We are B2B to C. Oh, yeah. <laughs> B2B in the sense that we work very closely with brokerage houses. Uh -huh. Take, for example, today in our app, we are already linked to eight of the brokerage houses in US, Fidelity, Interactive Brokers, E-Trade. Meaning to say, Graham, if you have an account with Fidelity, you have just got to go into Spiking app, yeah. do a one-time linking of your brokerage account within our app, and thereafter, you see exactly whatever you see within your Fidelity within the Spiking app. Yeah. And that's what we call frictionless trading experience. And you can also, within the app, file off trades. And that's the beauty of technology and what is available today. Yeah. yeah. So that's the B2B segment for B2C, we are helping our retail users to identify great stocks. And one of the next version launch that we're going to have, and I'm pleased to announce in your program here today, is our next version upgrade coming up in the mid of August. And we're going to do predictive modeling, hmm. meaning to say uh, we have tested it recently. When a Facebook stock price crashed, our robots were able to detect it before hmm. it crashed. Twitter crashed, we were able to detect before Twitter crashed. And that's all using artificial intelligence combined with neural networks and different kind of technologies mm. layer put together. If the technology is so good, why share it with the rest of the world? You can make a lot of money yourself by keeping this to yourself, no? Yes, that's a, that's a top frequently asked <laughs> question. <laughs> and I think for us is a give back to the community. Yeah. We want to make sure that retail investors have a chance to play catch up. Mm. I think many of them stay in the stock market because of the pursuit of financial freedom. Mm. And this is an asset class I strongly advocate. Every one of us should take our money, invest in the stock market, because there are basically only three baskets of uh, instruments that you can deploy. Number one is stocks for growth. Mm. Number two, bonds to get regular incomes. But most, most of the average Joes out there cannot afford bonds because the entry is pretty high, minimum about quarter million dollars. Mm -hmm. Third one is cash instrument. Cash in bank, but most of it, you're using it to buy groceries. Hmm. So what is essentially left right now for liquid instrument is actually stocks. So if you invest in the stocks over time, and we're talking about 5 to 10 years down the road, you will have an exponential yeah. effect, and you earn on compound interest. And that's the beauty of stock market. Yeah. I mean, there's no argument there. If you look at the long-term fundamentals the growth of the stock market yes you can't really argue with it can you yeah. so let's talk about the, the the business itself spiking how many people are you at the moment right now we have a uh, running a 12-man team mm -hmm. and uh very recently we have also made our entry into the blockchain space yeah uh this is really huge for us and why is that so you know one of the most uh, admired brokerage house in the world is called robin hood Graham, you might have heard of them. Yeah, um, I'm aware of them, yeah. They are the first to launch zero commission fees as a trading platform. Hmm. And it took them five years to register 3 million brokerage accounts. Five years, right? And to, to register a brokerage account is extremely painful. Hmm. You have to fill up the form, fund your account, go through a KYC. Five years, 3 million accounts. Here's what. This year, they announced that they're going to offer crypto trading on Robinhood platform. Within four days, 
they registered one million account. Yeah, it's amazing. Oh my God, there's a shift. There's a quick shift among the consumers. They feel that perhaps trading stocks is no longer cool. Mm. They want to trade cryptos. Yeah, there's a big pent-up demand, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, it's a huge demand right now. And that's where we start making our entry into a blockchain. Mm. We take the same original technology we apply in the stock market. We are trying to find out who are the whales in the cryptocurrency right. market. Okay. So would that be for for ICOs as well, trading in those or not? Would you give access to that? So there are two parts of um, blockchain technology. Mm. First, of course, why do you need to deploy blockchain? And, yeah. and to us, that's very important because most of the wheels are hidden behind the wallet addresses, which yeah. is 42 digits, right? So we design what we call a spiking verification process to verify wheels who are worth more than a million dollars in mm. USD equivalent. We want to invite these wheels to work with us. Number two, we design a profit split model so that ordinary folks out there can mirror and follow the wheels. Right. If they buy $1, yeah. you buy $1. If they exit at $2, you will exit $2 automatically executed by the spiking platform. Right. So we design a profit split model so that the wheels are willing to open up their trades to allow someone to mirror them and thereby they make right. additional income. And for the followers, they simply just have to select the right wheel to follow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and can, can they remain anonymous in that sense? Because they, they can do it through the blockchain, they can share information, yet there can be a sort of a level of separation, isn't there? Because they're actually putting it out there, but you might not know who they are. And that's, that's a great question. Uh, I had just had this major discussion with all of the, all the top 10 ICO funds in the world yesterday. Mm -hmm. And he was asking me, hey, Clement, for your will, are they anonymous? Or is that a public face behind it? And, and, and that really got me thinking. And today we are willing, willing to share that we give the wills the option. You can choose to remain anonymous yeah. or you can go public with your full name and your picture taken up. Yeah. So this gives them more choice. But what is really important is this. This is the same idea that LinkedIn took up about more than five years ago. They launched an influencer program. And they send out letters to all the Fortune yeah, yeah. 500 company CEOs and say, hey, we are starting a blogging system. Come to LinkedIn and start writing about ideas so that you can influence the next generation of business leaders. Mm -hmm. Many of them turned down LinkedIn. But one guy stood up. His name is called Richard Branson. Yeah. Today, he's the most followed business leader on LinkedIn platform. Exactly. We take the same message right now, go to cryptocurrency market and say, hey, Wills, join us. Mm. Open up your trades so that we can mirror your trades and you have an opportunity to influence the next generation of crypto traders. Yeah. And it's resonating very well. I just came back from an 8CD tour and uh, Wills are coming up to me and say, I want to be part of your program and I want to have, have an opportunity to show others how I make money in the crypto market. And right. that's really good and who, news for who us. And who are these people? Who are these blue whales in the, the crypto market? Are they, are they institutional investors? Are they, what, are they tech guys who got into Bitcoin like day one or what? Oh my, Graham, you really can't tell who's a whale. Right. They really comes in all form of shapes and sizes and they just look so ordinary. Right, so that, that must be the challenge <laughs> in, in the, the crypto market, isn't it? Because, you know, in, in the... In the stock market, it's a lot more established, right? And the people who have this as a career, analysts mm. and, you know, people who have, you know, a C-suite, mm. you know, title. Yes. But in crypto? In crypto, there are three major groups. Yeah. The first one are the token owners. Now, today on CoinMarketCap, there are about 3,000 different coins listed. Mm. 
it also means that behind every coin it is actually a successful ICO. Yeah. It also means that behind the successful ICO, there are about average three to five different founders holding large portion of the coins and that make them instant millionaires. That's the first group. Second group are the miners. They are mining the coins every mm. single day, day in, day out, and they are again controlling the market. And these are the guys that will influence the market. The third group are actually token holders. They are not associated with any ICO. They are not associated with any mining company, but because they are first mover, they are the first to enter into Bitcoin or Ethereum, and they are holding a large portion of it because back then it was so cheap. Yeah. These are the three groups that we are reaching out to. Right. They could be anybody. <laughs> you could be the one. <laughs> no, be, I'm keeping quiet. That's why I asked about anonymity. So are you raising funds at the moment? Yes. What we're doing right now is called Initial Token Offering. Yeah. And we... We started our private sale program. It's been very successful mm -hmm. and are very happy with the traction so far. First of all, what we need to do as a successful ITO company is this. Number one, set up a very strong team. Now, in our core team, recently we have an ex-Goldman Sachs uh, IT security expert who joined us. Mm. He, he was the guy responsible for setting up the entire crypto prop desk for Goldman Sachs. Yeah. He's on our team today. Has he left Goldman Sachs? He has left officially. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't belong there, right? So, And the second group is the advisors. You've got to have very good advisors on board and yeah. we are very proud of advisors and they come in so that I can avoid all the mistakes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's so many mistakes out there in, in the crypto space and really ramp up my learning curve yeah. as an entrepreneur in this space. So with these two groups, the third group are actually our supporters. So we have effectively raised above our soft cap of $2 million. Mm -hmm. And more, more, more heartening is that this group of supporters start referring to us to their network of friends. So we are getting very good support, advice, and guidance on the whole process of ITU. Right. So I'm not completely familiar with the ICO and the ITO process. An ITO is sort of like a pre-ICO, is it? Like a private offer? Uh, ITO, ICO is... Just a, a, a change of terminology, right, but right. essentially it's the same initial, initial token offering versus initial coin offering. Right. It's just we are well advised by our legal team use the word ITO. <laughs> <laughs> so this is where we're going to see the market head. We're going to hear more about this, right? Yes. Okay, so you're in the middle of that at the moment. Yes. You, you've already passed your funding goal. Yes. Okay. And then what happens next? You Once you achieve your goal and you go on to greater things, how, how does this sort of work out for you with spiking? Where do you see the growth here? Is it going out and selling to institutional investors? Is it going to, you know, is it exploring and expanding out the, the crypto market? Where do you see it? Or is it a geographical expansion? Where, where are the real sort of growth areas for you? This is uh, really the sweet spot and the core of uh, the spiking's USP. So our you know, first core product is the stock market app. And uh, today we cover four markets, six stock exchanges. And mm. in our roadmap, we eventually will cover about 20 different stock exchanges. And for every stock exchange, we track every single sophisticated investor within the exchange. That's part one. Part two, right now we entered into a blockchain. We start working with the wheels in the crypto market. And guess what? Today, I can have conversations with any of the top Chinese crypto exchanges in the world today right. because they are telling me this message. Hey, Clement, you know, the crypto space is red ocean. I say, what do you mean? Whoever is in the market, in the crypto space, has already joined the market. We need to find the blue ocean. And guess what? I I'm telling them, I represent the blue ocean for you. 
because mm. the blue ocean is in the old traditional old money right there in the stock market. Right. And we're going to bridge this gap, handhold those people from the stock market who's en- interested to enter the crypto market space in a seamless, effortless process. Right. We are building up for spiking. And not only that, in terms of the product vision, it's very important. So today you can see all the George Soros, Warren Buffett, Carl Icahn that you name it just now. In the future, you're going to see not only are they investing in public listed companies, you're going to see their portfolios of BTC, ETH, yeah. Yeah. and all the different altcoins that's a part of their portfolio. Yeah. This is what we define as a single asset class, stocks and cryptos in one basket. Amazing. <laughs> Excellent. And how about your team itself? I'm sure people listening and watching will probably, not, not just in terms of what you're doing, be inspired, but just your personality and your history as well and your story. It's quite infectious in, in a positive way mm-hmm. is that people would want to get on board and think, you know, Clemens doing something quite amazing. I, I, you know, I have skills and I found something that I feel that I want to be part of. What are you looking for in the kind of people to reach out for you? Because I imagine it's not just a technical thing. Culture of your organization must be quite important, isn't it? And how people think. So if somebody was listening or watching now, can you just sort of share your idea on what kind of people you want to reach out to you and what kind of culture you have as a business so that they can understand if there's a fit? That's an excellent question, Graham. We are constantly looking out for talents to join us. And we have uh, established three key criteria for the kind of people that we want to we work with 24 by 7. <laughs> we work very hard as a, te- as a team. Number one, this person must be very passionate in investing. Mm. Whether you're investing in stocks, bonds, forex, cryptos, we want to have a conversation with you. Number two, it's not just about your investing ideas. How do you operationalize it? So you see that in my whole team, every one of us is an engineer, except for one person, my co-founder. She does everything non-tech mm. so that she will fill in the gap for us. So we are looking for individuals passionate, number one, in investing. Number two, you can operationalize the idea. And number three, we are looking for outliers. <laughs> How do you define outliers in a candidate? We are looking for ideas that has never been tested in the market. In fact, everything that we do in spiking has not been tested by the so-called professionals or the scholars. We really attempt to think out of the box. Solving a very historical, long-drawn product in the market, but giving it a different look. That's the way we build a product. Now, these three ideas, when you you Mm. gel it up together, how do you assess a candidate when he's interested in joining our team? Seriously, it must be through several conversations. Yeah, yeah. We got to know the person, what he's thinking about, what's his core value, does it fit into our culture? And sometimes we, we have new candidates joining us. I will have this candidate spending a lot of time with me. Hmm. And because there's only two outcomes, binary, good or bad. If it's bad, it's going to be infectious to the whole team. Yeah, yeah. If it's good, then jolly well, uh, we'll confirm your candidature and hmm. you officially join the team. Hmm. So that's... That's what we do, constantly looking out for great candidates. Yeah, and I like the fact you define the criteria as well. You're passionate about investing, operationalized their the ideas. Yeah, their ideas, and then maybe they're investing as well, mm. and outliers. Yes. 
So, th I mean, th that's great. And it's refreshing to hear that, that you have a very specific idea of the kind of people that you're looking for. Because there's a lot of people now getting into the blockchain space. There's a lot of people with technical skills, but you're looking for specific people. And maybe people as well, like with hypotheses about, you know, look, I invest, I do this, mm -hmm. and, you know, I'm a bit different. And this is my ideas about, mm -hmm. you know, how I think things are. Mm -hmm. And maybe that doesn't fit in with what else is out there in the blockchain space. Mm. You know, maybe that's the conversation. Go and talk to Clemen, have that conversation with him, because it sounds like you might be kindred spirits, somebody who's trying to put a dent in the universe, at least. So it's great to hear. And inspiring as well. Really enjoyed having you on the show, Clemen. It's been a real privilege and an inspiration hearing your journey. And just before I let you go, um, how do people get in touch with you? What is the best way? How do you want people to reach out to you? Yeah, you can go to our platform at spiking.io and my email is clemen, C-L-E-M-E-N, at spiking.io or you can go to Facebook, reach out to me. I have a public profile, which is a verified page under my name, Clement Chiang. Mm -hmm. So we'll put I all respond, the details in the show notes. I yeah. respond to all areas. You can reach out to me in Telegram, LinkedIn, Facebook. I'm reachable. Excellent. But what is really important is when you reach out to someone, state your intent yeah. so that we don't have to second guess what, what exactly do you want yeah. because I think all of us are time strapped. So I respond very quickly when I know the other party, party knows what he wants. That facilitates that communication. Yeah, great advice. Clement Chang, everybody, CEO, founder, co-founder of Spiking. Clement, thank you so much today. Thank you so much, Graham. I really enjoy your lovely questions. I wish your team the best. I think you have put together a very, very good program. It actually helps myself today going through the program to articulate the chain of thoughts yeah. and respond accordingly to the very great questions you put forward to me. Congre congratulations, Graham. Well, that's awesome. I and mean, this is about storytelling and you've got a great story to tell. And I think, you know, we, we spoke a little bit off air as well. Yeah. And I'll just add this in is that here in Singapore, we need more people like you standing up and being counted, you know, because that is going to inspire a next generation of people to come through. It's not necessarily, we know about Jack Ma, we know about <laughs> Richard Branson and, and all those people, but we kind of want the people we can relate to. And I say that in the context of the Singaporeans, right? Who can I look at and say, that's a guy like me, but a few years down the line, right? That, you know, some kid watching it, it could be the 14-year-old kid who started flying or whatever, or the, the guy who's working at the, the, the trading desk or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Hearing your story is going to put a seed in their head, yes. plant it, and in years to come, that's going to flourish. And maybe that will be, you know, somebody who joins your company. Who knows? Awesome. Well, the next generation. But Clement, thank you so much. Thank you, Graham.